Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Dr. Childs. You can see my picture right over here. Um, this is my blog and today we are going to be talking about a weight loss with hypothyroidism success story. Specifically, I'm going to walk you through step by step this case study of a patient of mine who came into the office, um, what it actually took to help her lose weight, how we did it, and then more importantly, how you can apply these same principles to your care uh, in your life, right? So, because that's kind of the main goal here. We were trying to help as many people as we can. So let's let's jump right in. Um, I'm going to talk about, and this is a specific patient. She'll remain anonymous, but uh, I have a, a review from her at the bottom that we'll we'll discuss. But basically, she is a 69 year old woman, uh, mother of three kids, who has been struggling with weight all of her life, and that's what that's kind of the way that she presented to me and how she found me. Um, and I want to take a second and talk about that struggling with her weight all of her life bit for a second. That's something I hear very, it's so common among hypothyroid patients, but specifically patients who don't even necessarily know that they are hypothyroid. Okay, these are the patients that have quote unquote normal thyroid lab tests their entire life, but they fit all of the symptoms of hypothyroidism to a T, right? A hundred out of a hundred symptoms of hypothyroidism, they have them, and yet their, their lab test looks quote-unquote normal. So that's, that's a big tell for me. Now this particular patient did not know she had hypothyroidism prior to coming in to see me, but when we go over her labs, it'll become evident to many of you, um, as it was to me, but I just want to point that out here. So her goals of treatment, I always ask my patients, what, what, are you look, what are you hoping to accomplish? What are you hoping to achieve in seeing me? So her goals were, number one, she wanted to lose 100 pounds ideally, so a lot of weight loss. That's usually top three for many people. She wanted to feel better. She wanted to have more energy. Again, you know, top three of things that people want. Um, and she wanted to improve her sleep. So um, we'll talk a little bit about her sleep in a second here. Let me just talk about her, her history with her weight and such for a second. So she, th this is a patient who has tried multiple diets throughout her life, but most recently she underwent the ECG diet three times. She was able to lose 40 pounds the first time, 20 the second, and then 10 the last time. But she had tried several other yo-yo diets kind of throughout her life the last several decades. Um, in addition, she actually had a previous gastric bypass several years ago and was able to lose about 50 to 60 pounds, um, but she she gained all that weight back. So she's kind of what I would say she, she failed her bariatric surgery in the sense that it helped her lose some weight initially, but it wasn't long-term and sustained weight loss. So in addition to doing all these, this dieting that I mentioned before, HCG, et cetera, she also underwent gastric bypass surgery. She had been able to you know, come up with a lose weight here and there, but by the time she came to see me, nothing, would, nothing had worked. She was at her wit's end. Um, you know, she just frustrated, right? She had gone through a lot of stuff, and, and I don't blame her at all. Um, what I do want to point out also is that if you fit into this category, which I just described, somebody who is doing these, these types of diets, who has maybe even undergone gastric bypass, who is just so weight loss resistant that it does not matter what you do, your weight does not come off for you. There, there's a couple of things that, that um, are consistent among those types of patients. And one of those is leptin resistance and the other is thyroid resistance. And you'll see in this patient, she ends up having both of those. But I wanna put that out there for you guys. If you fit into that same category, it's absolutely worth looking into both of those things. I have articles and such on my website that you can look at and, and to understand those conditions um, more, a, a little more in depth, but we're not going to go over it too much right now. In addition, before she came and saw me, she had seen several alternative holistic functional practitioners. 
Um, and she's never really able to do much. So she came in a little skeptical talking about, you know, she tried every supplement that exists, yada, 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 et cetera. Um, and I do want to take a quick second and point out, I, I, I see that a lot frequently in my practice as well. Uh, patients will come in and they'll tell me, well, you know, my provider said I have a hundred pounds to lose and I have leaky gut. I'm like, okay, all right. Well, yes, you probably do have leaky gut. I'm not arguing with that, but I, I highly doubt that your leaky gut is responsible for the 100 pounds that you're carrying of extra weight right now, right? It's certainly contributing, but it's definitely up, you know, probably number six or seven in terms of importance as to why you're unable to lose weight. So just put to throw that out there, guys. Um, let's jump in here to some of the other symptoms just to give you an idea of these are, again, very common. Generally, people have constipation, but this one, this particular patient had a lot of diarrhea. Um, I suspected most likely due to the fact that she had the gastric bypass, which kind of can alter the anatomy in the gastrointestinal tract, lead to some malabsorption of nutrients and such. So that's most likely what was happening to her. Energy levels, very fatigued. Um, her energy on a scale of 1 to 10, I always ask my patients, 1 being essentially bed-bound, 10 being, you know, you're Superman, you jump out of bed, ready to tackle the world. She was a 4 out of 5, so, you know, 50%, 40-50% energy levels. Sleep, she was suffering from insomnia, unable to slow down her, mi her mind at night. Um, she was actually sleeping with the TV on, uh, which, which obviously is not something you want to do. So if any of you guys are out in that same boat, um, it, it's actually activating beta waves in your brain when you should be activating delta waves when you try and slow down uh, your brain for sleep at night um, to help you get into that deep REM sleep. So definitely not something you want to be doing. She was doing that. Exercising, again, another typical kind of thing here. So she was on her bike for 30, 40 minutes every single day. And then check out her diet. So she was eating salads every single day. And, and that, kind of, that kind of combo here. People come in doing that low-intensity exercise, sitting on a treadmill every single day, sitting on a bike long-term, you know, eating salads, lean meats like chicken and broccoli. That's very, very common among patients that I see. It, it doesn't work that well for everyone. So I want you to get out of that mindset where, you need to restrict your calories. You need to eat these, you know, low carb, zero net zero carb foods like celery and salads and things like that. Uh, they just they don't work, especially in these settings. And then another big one is she had a lot of pain. She came in with chronic pain of her neck, back, both knees. I've she even had some hip issues, just pain all over her entire body. Uh, I didn't go through and check her for the pressure points of fibromyalgia, but she, and she she most likely would have tested positive for that. Um, the reason I didn't is because the majority of patients who suffer from these symptoms do, uh, they have significant improvement once you treat them correctly. And indeed, just as a kind of uh, uh, preview of what's to come, her pain completely disappeared. So it was kind of a moot point in terms of checking her for fibromyalgia in this setting. Um, and so, so that's basically what she came, in, she came in to see me with. So I want you to kind of take a mental note, think about yourself, think about how much of this this stuff you you know you your match your current symptoms right so is your are your energy levels low is your GI tract messed up is your sleep poor are you exercising are you eating all of these things how much of these do you match up with her and then we'll talk about what her labs show and how you can kind of look through yours as well so I always start off with a what I call a comprehensive functional blood chemistry analysis basically just as many it's just a ton of serum hormone tests and um, it tests uh, organ systems in the body and such. So what we're looking at right here is the summary of her abnormal results. So these are the tests that were flagged as abnormal by the lab, meaning that these are outside of the the normal normal range. Now these aren't these aren't optimal ranges. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And as you can see, the her thyroid tests were not even flagged as abnormal. So we have to we have to use an optimal range to kind of 
de determine some of these other issues that she has. But even so, just looking at these abnormal results, you can see that many of them are out of range. So most notably, high homocysteine. Obviously, homocysteine isn't something you want to have high. Um, it, it can be high homocysteine levels are um, can be associated with a high risk of cardiovascular disease and some other things. Also indicative of a vitamin B, B deficiency um, or methylation issues. So something to look into. I'm going to gloss over the, the testosterone levels for now and skip to the hemoglobin A1C. So right off the bat, you can see 6.7 is her range. It flags as it as normal. It doesn't tell you what it is, but basically she falls into the category of type 2 diabetes. So insulin resistance, um, high homocysteine. I already know right off the bat that she's got issues with blood sugar and insulin resistance, probably contributing to her weight gain without even going into any further, you know, without looking at anything else. Now I'm going to go over them obviously, but but those are the things that just catch my eye immediately. And I talk about these things in detail. So elevated homocysteine, the testosterone, blood sugar, and then vitamin D. Oh, her vi I didn't circle her vitamin D. But yes, her vitamin D was quite low, 23.3. like that to be in the 70 to 80 range. Going through here, her cholesterol panel. Again, very typical. Um, this is a, a standard lipid, lipid panel. Um, nowadays, I'm actually using um, more sensitive inflammatory markers from the Cleveland Heart Lab to get an idea as to potential cardiac risk to catch these things early. But with you, you can still get value from the from this standard lipid panel. Um, I want you know you'll see the LDL here, the so-called bad cholesterol, the HDL here, the so-called good cholesterol. Um, I want you to kind of ignore those designations for now and focus. If you're getting the lipid panel, one of the best things you can look at is the triglyceride to HDL ratio. It's it's a little bit better in terms of predicting issues with uh, cardiac issues than LDL by itself. And I develop I talk about that a little bit below. Basically what happens though, the higher your triglycerides, the lower your HDL gets, the worse off you are. So generally I like to see triglycerides less than 100, HDL greater than 50 to 60 depending on if you're a man or a woman. So her HDL is actually pretty decent, but it's her triglycerides that are quite elevated. And so triglycerides are a way that I can look at people and determine, you know, what, what are they actually eating? Because triglycerides generally come from increased sugar, sugar consumption in the body. So when I look at this and I see it's over 140 and someone's telling me they're eating, you know, spinach and broccoli and, and chicken. I'm like, well, what else are you eating? Where, where, where else is this coming from? So, yes, some other things can cause this. Don't get me wrong. But it's, it's just a, a clue to me that I'm, I need to look into that a little more in detail or in depth. So, yes, cholesterol panel is a little abnormal. Um, again, you can look through all of these and talk about why that's important. It's huge, though. Uh, and then we're going to go down to the blood sugar and insulin issue. By the way, it's worth pointing out that this cholesterol is important in the sense that you want to know that it's present. Um, but in the treatment that I've, that I, that I've uh, created for this particular patient, it, it almost completely reversed this, this triglyceride HDL ratio. So it's, it's, not, it's not something we directly intervene on. It just happens to be um, fixed in the process of treatment. Okay, So down to the blood sugar and insulin levels here. Her, again, her hemoglobin A1C was 6.7, indicating that she falls into the range of type 2 diabetes, 6.5 being that cutoff, by the way. So 5.7 to 6.4 um, would indicate that you have pre-diabetes, definitely early uh, onset of insulin resistance. Anything greater than 6.5, you fall into that type 2 diabetes range. Um, looking over here at the uric acid, you can see greater than 5, which is the sensitive cutoff that I use, indicating that she's, she's having some issues with fructose metabolism in her liver. Uric acid is a byproduct of that metabolism, so the higher the uric acid you indicates that they're kicking off a little bit more byproduct metabolism of fructose. Okay, And then here's the big tale for her. Fasting insulin, 23.8. Very, very high. If you've seen other 
videos that I've done, you know how critical insulin is in, in terms of just weight and, and health in general. So this particular patient has about four to five times the fasting insulin that she should have. And that's very important because the higher your insulin is, the more likely you are to shuttle any calories you consume straight into your fat cells, which is the exact opposite of what you want to do, right? Obviously, nobody wants to do that. Then we come to her thyroid studies, which, and I bring this up because, again, this wasn't flagged as abnormal, but if you take a closer eye and you look at these things, um, you, you, the story starts to become a little more clear. So I'm looking here at her, her TSH, 1.6. Okay, you know, that's, actually, that's not terrible. Um, you know, look at the range there. I don't use that. I use two as a cutoff, but okay, you look at the TSH, it's not too bad. Free T4, definitely in the lower range. This thing's a little bugging me right here, but you can see as I move my cursor over, it's 1.17. So looking at the reference range, 0.89 to 1.7, yeah, lower 20, 30% or so. Her free T3, you look at this and say, oh, okay, well, it's not too bad, right? It's in the mid sort of range, but definitely lower. But when you come down to her um, reverse T3, you can see that's the elevated. So what we have here is a case of falsely elevated or falsely quote-unquote normal, semi-normal T3 levels in the presence of elevated reverse T3. Something that's very, very common in patients who have done this recurrent chronic yo-yo dieting, um, who have had cal chronic calorie deprivation and, and conditions like that. So when we look at these things, it's very important to, to order reverse T3 to put it all into context. So yes, to answer your question, well, if you had a question, she's hypothyroid. She needs thyroid medication, okay? Thyroid hormone. Now, we probably could do some, some intervention to lower this down by itself. We wouldn't necessarily need to jump to that. But in, in this setting, I, I do think you get better results if you were to include that, that thyroid uh, hormone earlier rather than later. Okay, so I, I just explain this here. Another thing, another quick point is her sex hormone binding globulin. So yes, she is menopausal, um, but an SHBG of 25 in a woman, it should be in the 70 to 80 range. Only two things increase that, estrogen and thyroid. So I know she's low in thyroid, so it's certainly contributing to that low SHBG. Iron studies, definitely a little suboptimal in terms of where they should be. Ferritin, I like in the 70 to 80 range. I don't go over those reference ranges here, but just know that she's a little bit lower than she should be. A vitamin B12, I like this greater than 900 to a, um, 1,000 or so. She's about two-thirds of the way there. Um, and this isn't the most sensitive marker, obviously. Methylmalonic acid is better as a, as a, um, as a urinary acid, organic acid. But B12, serum B12s can be helpful if they are suboptimal doesn't necessarily indicate that your cells are getting enough, but it does have some value. So definitely subclinical vitamin B12 deficiency. Um, if you wanted to put a name to what she has and look at the diagnoses, then this is, what I, this is what I would come up with here based off of this data. So certainly not normal, right? Um, but it takes the right, right kind of understanding of what you're looking at and, and the interpretation of these labs to come up with these things. Okay, so um, thyroid resistance, aka hypothyroidism, insulin resistance, aka type 2 diabetes mellitus, She's got low testosterone, adrenal-related issues, insomnia, diastolic heart disease. That was not based off of her labs, but um, something that she came in telling me. Iron deficiency, chronic diarrhea with multiple nutrient deficiencies, subclinical vitamin B12 deficiency, vitamin D deficiency, hyperlipidemia or dyslipidemia um, with hypertriglyceridemia, and then hypertension, So, which is high blood pressure, by the way. So that's kind of the, the lingo. Again, not meant to scare you or anything. I just want to, to emphasize that this is not a normal, um, her labs are not normal, right? So I don't want anybody going in think, to their doctor and, and asking for these tests and thinking that they're on the right track. They, they get them all, their doctor finally orders them, they come back and say, oh yeah, you know, blood sugar is a little off and otherwise you're okay. No, that's, that's 
just ordering the test is the very, very beginning. You have to have, find somebody to help you interpret them if you want to get on the right treatment, okay? So this, this would be different. My, my diagnoses would be different than a conventional or standard uh, doctor because of just the way that we look at and interpret the lab. So that's, that's definitely worth uh, noting here and paying attention to. The next thing we're going to want to go over is our treatment, right? So how, did, how do we take all of those diagnoses, all of that lab, uh, laboratory data, how do we put it into a treatment plan that makes sense, that results in significant long-term weight loss and improvement in all of our symptoms. So this is what I, you know, this is the functional sort of approach that I've, that I've taken for optimal treatment. So in terms of hormones and medication, um, I put her on Armour Thyroid. She ended up getting switched to, I think she's now on Nature Thyroid and a combination of T3, but at the time of writing this, she was on Armour Thyroid. She and the reason I picked Armour is because she had used it, I think, in the past once or twice and had done okay on it. And so um, if, you've done it, if you've done it well on it in the past, there's no reason not to use it again in the future. I also gave her a bioidentical testosterone cream and an organic base, so there's no fillers or binders to use transdermally. And then I use uh, fentramine to be used in conjunction with fasting protocol. So don't let this freak you out. Fentramine daily is a problem. However, fentramine one to two times per week is where you get into the sweet spot where it can be very, very, very beneficial, especially for those with insulin resistance and diabetes. And that's exactly how I use it in here. I would never recommend you take fentramine on a daily basis. You will lose probably five to 20 pounds, but the second you stop taking fentramine, it will come back. If you use it the way that I'm recommending here, the weight loss will stay off and it will remain permanent. So that's, a, that's an important distinction um, about how to use these medications. So you notice when I talk about medications, um, again, this comes back to the, to the knowledge of the practitioner you're getting help from. A lot, of it is about, a lot of it is about the way that the doctor uses the medication, not necessarily just that they're using the medicine. So what patients will do is they'll say, okay, well, I saw Dr. Childs use this, this, or this, so I'll, I'll have my doctor prescribe them, but they don't get the results, and that's because they're not using them the way that I'm recommending. Okay, so big, big important kind of uh, note there. Um, in terms of supplements, uh, this is what we did. We gave her some zinc, which she was deficient in. She had some immune issues um, based off some of the other symptoms. She was having some chronic ear issues um, related to some uh, eczema and infections and such. So immune system was down. Gave her B12 injections, which I always recommend in a patient that has thyroid resistance or hypothyroidism. They tend to absorb them a lot better, obviously, as methylcobalamin. D3 because she was low. Adrenal support because she needed that. Liquid iron just to boost those ferritin and serum iron levels to help boost thyroid function. And then probiotics as well because she was experiencing all of those gastrointestinal issues. Um, and you can look at some of the reason why I use some of these supplements and such. I explained that. Um, and then again, so this is just two legs of her treatment. So we've got the hormones and medications as one, supplements as a second. I also had her do some physical and chiropractic work. Um, I, I didn't do that obviously, but she needed that, she needed that extra help with the uh, chronic pain she was experiencing. So this is, a, this is an important note. When you have chronic pain related to hypothyroidism, it's usually due to the potentiation of muscle soreness and knots as a result of tissue level hypothyroidism. So I want you to consider this as an example. When, when somebody dies, they, have some, they, go on, they undergo something called rigor mortis, right? And rigor mortis is where they get stiff like a board. So when somebody, you know, and you might think, well, that's weird. What, when they die, they get stiff. How does that work? And the reason is because you don't need energy to flex your muscle. You need energy to relax your muscle. And, and so what you can do inside of your muscles is you can form knots and, and kind of like these, these potentiated forms of, of muscle contraction inside the muscle belly itself. And the only way to release that muscle, that point, and to get rid of that pain that's there is to provide it with energy so that your muscle can actually relax. And part of the reason that hypothyroid patients 
end up being misdiagnosed with fibromyalgia is because of this syndrome where their muscles don't have the energy required from the thyroid in the tissues to relax. Okay, so if that if you fall into one of those categories, you you need to manually either through vibra vibration therapy or some other therapy, even massage. That's why I'll actually I'll recommend some of my patients get massage or chiropractic work or vibration therapy, whatever it is. You got to go in there and you have to manually or physically break up those tender points. And it hurts. Don't get me wrong, it hurts. But it's necessary because once they relax and you and then flooded the tissues with enough thyroid hormone, the muscle can kind of come back into normalcy, and then you don't have those those uh, points that potentiate the chronic pain and such. So again, that's an important point. That's why I did recommended this for her. She did it. She did awesome. I'll talk about her results. Chronic pain, 100% gone though. Um, number, the second part of it, again, that's just, you know, this, we're going to go through everything and this is how you get the results I'm talking about. So the next step was the fasting routine. So she needed to do that to reverse her type 2 diabetes. Um, she actually did reverse it within three months. I think I talk about that uh, down below. Hopefully I have some, some images for you to show. Um, but anyway, so she did the fasting routine. She, this was an example. So if you go back up, I think her fasting insulin, 12-hour fasting insulin was in the 20s, 24 maybe, whatever it was above there, 23. And then what I did is I had her do a 24-hour fast and then recheck her insulin. So look at her 24-hour fasting insulin drop to 10.3 and compare that to the 23 that it was before, a huge drop. So remember when I told you that in the presence of insulin, your body's going to store calories as fat, which means that if you can drop the insulin, you can then unlock the fat cells to be burned as energy um, through, uh, it's mediated by an enzyme called hormone-sensitive lipase, I'm not going to get into that. But basically what happens is you cannot open up and burn fat cells for energy until your insulin levels drop. That's kind of like, a, it's just a no-no, just, that's just physiology in your body. So fasting becomes essential to help drop that insulin, to unlock the fat cells, to burn the fat, and then to increase insulin sensitivity to reverse the diabetes. So through this process is how fasting can actually help reverse diabetes. This is a whole other topic, um, but if you want to get into that a little bit, I, I think I provide some links here. If not, I can provide them in the uh, a comment section below, or you can simply ask me and I can get that info to you. But basically, if you have insulin resistance, fasting has got to be an important part of the treatment. It also helps with weight loss and such. So yes, she did that. She had to do some stress management. I had her do some, some biofeedback-like therapy to manage her stress. And by doing so, she was able to finally fall asleep without the TV on. So all of these things started to happen. And, you know, it's just like a huge snowball is the way I describe it. Once you start getting better sleep, it's easier to have more energy. Your, thyroid, your medications and hormones improve all everything else. And you just, it's like a snowball. You just start to gain momentum. And then, you know, it becomes sort of hands-off at that point because you start feeling so much better it's easy to make good choices, right? Versus feeling so, you know, if your energy level is two out of 10, it's going to be hard to get up and make your make food. It's going to be hard to meal prep. It's going to be hard to do these things. But when your energy is eight out of 10 or nine out of 10, it suddenly becomes a lot more simple. So again, stress management, critical part of her treatment. Dietary chain changes. I moved her to a, a basically a higher fat, nutrient dense, real whole food diet. So instead of skimping on the lean meats, I had her eat fatty meats. I had her add um, lots of fats to her salads and things like that. She did really well. She, I think, eventually ended up, um, she did a little bit of nutritional ketosis, then went back to less, um, less fats, but did really well along the way. Um, exercise, I actually had her stop all exercise for a month and then have her reintroduce high-intensity interval training. Um, the reason for that is she had, she had adrenal issues, so I wanted her to calm down for a little bit. And, and she lost 30, 30, I don't know, 25, 30 pounds in the first month, um, not even exercising. So again, her sitting on that bike every single day probably wasn't doing much for her. Next thing I had her do was some de detox. I had her get in the, the uh, far infrared sauna, um, which, and, and this has uh, several benefits, right? So 
um, warming up the body can help activate heat shock proteins in the liver, which helps get rid of some of the, just the crud that's floating around in the body. Um, the calorie itself helps increase body temperature, and your body has to spend a lot of energy to cool down the body temperature, which results in excess cal caloric burn, which is good. Obviously, it helps you sweat. Sweating is, is uh, one of the four ways that you can, bodies can, your body can eliminate toxins. So you've got, you can pee it out, you can poop it out, you can sweat it out, or you can breathe it out. Um, so, and most people aren't sweating too much, especially if they have hypothyroidism. And then obviously, well, another benefit, maybe not obviously, but getting in the sauna has been shown to reduce cortisol levels, which is great because it's very relaxing um, or can be, I should say. So let's talk about what this patient, uh, what her results were. So, um, so I was a little bit off on the weight loss, but in the first month, you can see I measured this through impedance analysis. She actually lost more than 21 pounds of, of total weight in her body, but I specifically am focusing on pounds of fat mass loss, and that was measured by impedance analysis. So you can see that she was just shedding fat like crazy, which is good, right? Because when, you, like I said before, once you drop that insulin, we provide you with a thyroid hormone to help boost the metabolism, testosterone to help boost it as well, to build the lean muscle mass that needs to be there. Once those things get set into motion with dietary changes and everything else I mentioned, the body just in this perfect mode where it can then start to just shed, shed fat because that's what it wants to be. It doesn't want to hang on to those calories. They're there for a reason. So we have to just kind of help the body remember what that reason is, and that's to, to use for a rainy day, okay? So she lost about 21 pounds of fat mass in the first month without exercising, which is great. Um, and, and a lot of people are interested in the weight loss, but there's more than that. So her insomnia completely went away. She was able to sleep at night. Um, she was getting great sleep for the first time in years and years and years. She didn't have to use um, the television to kind of tune things out to get things going. Um, energy levels went up from a 4 out of 5 to an 8 out of 10. And again, this is like one month checkup here. So we're talking, um, she's only going to get better and better. And again, and, and I, I know because I've treated her for several months after this, she did continue to improve. But the point is on the right track, she had a significant improvement right off the bat. Chronic pain went away. It took about four weeks, but no pain whatsoever. It's as if it never was there. Um, and, and, that's, and that's really awesome. So she did really, really well. And, and I, would, I wouldn't even say that this is, an ab, this is a patient who did abnormally well. This is just pretty standard if you, if you look at and treat patients correctly. You know, this isn't a crazy amount of weight loss, 20, 20 pounds in a month, but it's healthy weight loss. This is never coming back. Um, what I will tell you too, because did I include this here? Looks like I didn't, but um, I guess I'll come back through and update this. And, but this particular patient, uh, we were able to, re to reverse her diabetes in three months. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll come back and uh, add the links to show you the, the lab data that I have. But I think her hemoglobin A1C went from 6.7 to 5.5 or 5.6 within the three-month mark, which is huge. So she reversed her diabetes, dropped her insulin, continued to drop weight. At this point, I, I know she's at, well, I'm about to see her again coming up here pretty soon. Um, but the last time we chatted, she was down 70 uh, pounds, and that's 20 pounds more than she was ever able to lose. Um, and, and that's the most, 50 pounds was the most she was able to lose with the help of ga uh, gastric bypass. So uh, basically, we've been able to take her past the weight that ga gastric bypass was able to do, improve all these symptoms in the process, um, and she's just, been, she's just been doing great. The other thing is, though, she did reach a plateau, and that happens uh, from time to time. I'm not afraid to talk about it or say it. It's just the reality of the situation. So what I did is I did check her leptin levels and had to kind of change course and add some other therapies on. You can see her leptin was 19.6, which is probably the reason that she was, uh, that leptin level will help kind of, well, well, abnormally, I should say, help the brain kind of set a new uh, weight for your body. So it can cause some issues. So this is definitely why she reached that plateau. Um, we broke through it by, by treating um, with some medications and GLP-1 agonists as well. So um, this patient did very well. Um, and then you can see some testimonials here. She was very pleased. 
um, with her with her results, and she wrote us up a long letter, which was very sweet, and um, we're very thankful for that. But uh, anyway, guys, so this is this is basically a a story, um, a step by step case study of of how I look at thyroid patients, um, how I can take some of the most difficult weight loss resistant patients, use this sort of framework to help them lose weight, feel better get rid of their symptoms and, and do quite well. So I want to explain this to you um, so that hopefully you understand it. Now, I don't expect you to understand everything just because I went over this once. There's a ton of information and I'd be lying if I said it was easy and simple to assimilate. However, understanding it's a good step in the right direction because even though your current doctor may not be able to help you, now you know what to look for in doctors that can help you, right? So use this information, I hope it's helpful please um, leave any comments or questions you have below about this particular patient, why I did what I did. I'd be happy to answer them. Um, and if you're listening to this on YouTube or a podcast, please subscribe um, if you like what you're hearing. So anyway, thanks guys. I'm glad we were able to chat about this and let me know if you have any questions.